anyone. <laughs> I can hear you, but I can't see you. <clears throat> so we are going to have fun. So we are, I'm going to bring the word this morning. I'm going to set the tone, uh, something of, this, of the theme that God's laid on my heart. I'm just going to bring. And uh, let's just have open hearts. I believe you are never going to be the same again. I believe it. I believe it. And so this morning, we're going to hear the word, and then afterwards we're going to break for coffee, and then this lovely Chanel with the blingest shoes I've ever seen. We are going to have so much fun afterwards. We're going to have, there's so many prizes to give away, so we need to come back on time, and, uh, and then Bianca is going to keep us in hysterics, right? Bianca's going to, we're going to have fun. So it'll just go up and up and up and up and up by the end of the day. Are we ready? What time is it? We can start the clock. So, his heart, the invisible made visible. My heart is to bring God's heart to people. I've realized that I've got one purpose in this life, and it's to know the Father's heart, and it's to bring the goodness of his heart to you, and it's to know how beautiful that he is worthy, that he is trustworthy, Worthy, that in his heart is only goodness toward you. And the invisible made visible. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. We gather today not for entertainment, we gather to encounter. We gather today not for performance, but for God's presence. Because when you spend a moment in God's presence, you will never be the same. And so we are called to be the, the visible representation of the invisible God. The Father's heart, we are to be made visible on the earth. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Colossians, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Say, we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Jesus said, why do you ask to see my father? Everything I do, I do what my father does. I only say what I hear my father saying. He does his work through me. He was the exact representation of the father's heart. Our faith. The very foundation of our faith needs to be built on the invisible God, on what we do not see, yet we are consumed with what we do see. We are obsessed with the material world. We as Christians are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the invisible made visible. In Hebrews 11, God speaks about 16 people that stood out above the crowd because they saw in the invisible realm. And so let's turn to Hebrews 11. We only have time to go through a few people. The fundamental fact of existence is that, the tr- that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. By faith, verse 7, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. 
He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place. Do you follow the theme here? That would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. Say no idea. No idea is the path to faith. We have no idea where we're going, what we're doing. By faith, Baron Sarah was able to become pregnant, old woman as she was at the time, because she believed the one who made a promise would do what he said. Other translations said she relied on God. She was dependent on God. She believed God had her best interests in his heart. She trusted God. In James 2.19, it says, You say that you have faith and believe in God? Even the demons believe in God and tremble. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He goes on to talk about Abraham and he says, You see, his faith and his actions work together and his actions made his faith complete. How many of us are operating out of incomplete faith? Because we believe God, but we don't want to step out into his word. And so we are operating out of incomplete faith. But God is calling us to work from complete faith. Noah listened and obeyed. It's one thing to listen. I hear what God is saying. It's quite another thing to have the courage to obey. Because remember what God told him to do in the middle of the desert. He warned him of something he couldn't see. Noah had no reference for this. He couldn't say, oh, I remember when you sent a flood before and you told someone to build an ark and send the animals two by two. He had no reference. Because remember, what God calls us to do is always a new thing. A new thing. We may not have a reference for it. Someone else may have not gone down that path before. But you know what the enemy does when a new word comes? He brings the demon of doubt. Can you imagine the doubt and the mockery that Abraham had to live in? I can just imagine Satan sitting there. God has just spoken a word over that person. She's going to be a threat to my kingdom. Demons of doubt, go and convince her that she never heard that word. Because if he can convince you that you never heard that word, he will stop you from walking into what God has called you to. The enemy of our faith is doubt. Doubt chooses a familiar path, a safe path. But faith chooses a path that walks through the darkness, but you're never in the dark, are you? Because Jesus is light. And so wherever the light is, his word is a lamp unto our feet. It may be dark, but we're following Jesus. You know, if someone says, if you've gone the same route to the shopping mall, I know where the shopping malls are in Dubai, okay? If someone sat in the passenger seat and said, are you sure you're going the right way? I know where I'm going. I've done this a hundred times. But what if I'm going somewhere new? And then I type my, and then I'm just like, I, someone sits in the passenger seat. Are you sure you know where you're going? I, I don't know. I do. And then doubt starts to just wreak havoc on a new thing. Remember, when God has spoken, hold on to it. Hold on to it. When Abraham left, he had no idea where he's going. It's not reverse order. God doesn't say, I'll show you the land, now go. He says, go, and I'll show you the land. Some of you haven't even come to the Middle East before you moved up here. You had no idea what you were coming to. But God said, go, and I will show you what I have for you. 
here in the desert. He trusted God. You know, the best example that God showed me about trust was a few years ago when I was so inspired by the Paralympics and I watched the blind runners running their race, running towards the finish line. And the guide runs alongside them. He tells them when there's obstacles. He tells them when there's a curve in the road. He tells them when they're coming up to the finishing line. And isn't that the job of our invisible God? He knows that we walk in the darkness. He knows that we can't see what's ahead of us. But he comes alongside us as our guide, as our mentor, as our Holy Spirit. And he warns us and he pre-warns us. And he says, trust me. And you know what they do? They link hands. They link hands so that they can run and step with one another. And what does Scripture say? We walk in step with the Spirit. We don't run ahead. We don't stay behind. We run in step with Him. God knows the Bible. He speaks about a race. Run the race as to win the prize. Run the race that was marked out for you with perseverance. And we have this invisible God. That, and you should see them. They lean into their guide. They can't see they completely dependent on him. Can we run this race in the dark without our guide? We can't do it. We can't see. We need to be trusting our God. You know, we often ask God, what is your perfect and pleasing will? As if it's a destination to arrive at. But I believe God's perfect and pleasing will is to teach you how to trust Him. That is the only valuable lesson that you will learn and walk out in your Christianity, is learning to trust God. That is the perfect will for your life. Faith is not a formula. It's a friendship. Faith is not manipulating God for, for gain. That doesn't speak of a healthy relationship to me when there's manipulation involved. It's trusting in a good God in his unconditional love. You cannot separate faith and trust. Faith doesn't operate on its own where you just, well, I'm just going to conjure up the superpower from who knows where, where you just open up the scriptures and you say, I like this verse. Nothing is impossible without God. If God be for us, who can be against us? But inside, there's anxiety, there's a lack of peace, there's a lack of trust because you don't know this. Yeah, but that preacher just quoted that scripture, and I'm just going to quote that scripture. Faith is planted in the seabed of trust. Our Christianity is all about a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. Faith is a noun. It's something you have. But trust is a verb. It's something you do. And we start in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, where Eve, she questioned God's goodness. God said, don't eat from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She didn't trust that God's intentions and heart for her were good. And she opened the door to the accuser. And we know that the accuser accuses the, the children of God before God every single day. He comes before God and he says, look what she did. Look what her past. Look at her past. She'll never be clean. She committed this. She did this. She's keeping secrets. She's keeping lies. But where is Jesus seated? 
Jesus is seated on the right-hand side of the Father, closest to his ear. He's the closest person to the Father. So he's whispering, and he's, inter- he's the great inter- intercessor. He's interceding on our behalf. I've made her righteous. I've died for her. She's one of yours. Which voice are we going to partner with? Which team are we going to be on? Jesus is always going to ask you, do you trust me? The disciples found themselves in a boat far from shore. The waves picked up. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. They start to get afraid. They wake up Jesus. Jesus, we're going to die. These waves are too big. You know what Jesus says to them? He rebuked the waves and he said, the waves became calm and in perfect peacefulness. And he said to them, where is your faith? Where is your confidence in me? Where is your confidence in me? You see, when Jesus asks you on the shore, do you trust me? We say, yes, Lord, call us out upon the waters. Trust with no borders. Deeper waters, please, Lord, we pray. And then they put such nice melodies to those songs, and we cry them out at the top of our lungs. And then when we are faced in the waters and we're deep in the waters, our trust is tested. That's when our trust is tested. And we're always insulted when Jesus asks us, do you trust, do you trust me? He said that to me often, do you trust me? I'm always like, of course I trust you. Something happens, a test happens, and I'm like, wow, my trust was not in God. We're so insulted, we're so shocked. We look at Peter's, Peter. Peter says in Matthew 26, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No, Peter insisted. Even I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples vowed the same. Then Jesus went off to pray. It's like I'm not having this conversation with you. Because we'll just see what life brings your way. And we'll see what's in your heart. Because you trust me in the shore, but you don't trust me in the waves. You trust me in the light, you don't trust me in the darkness. You trust me in health, you don't trust me in sickness. And Peter, you trusted me in the pack with your friends, but you didn't trust me in persecution. Do you trust me? And God says, I know that this is a trial, but trust me, my child. 1 Peter 1.7, these trials will show that your faith is, is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God's purpose in our lives is to make our faith stronger. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows the bigger picture for our lives. And why should we settle for little faith when we can have big faith? When that is something that God is forging in us. And imagine God's word says in Luke, when I come back to the earth, will there be even any faith remaining in our people? So for God, faith is a big deal. Faith is something that he wants to test in us, forge in us, is precious to him. Stretch marks. The only time stretch marks are good is when our faith has been stretched. 
and we can prove it. Oh yes, this stretch mark here, that was when I was trusting God for salvation for my family member. Yes, this stretch mark here, that was when I was trusting God for a breakthrough. And that's really, really stretched my faith for provision, for healing, for my children. God wants to stretch our faith. And we can always tell when there's a lack of, when there's anxiety and stress and fear at work, it's because there's a lack of peace. Just look for the signs of lack of peace. Then it's showing that you're not trusting God fully. And can I tell you the most valuable, valuable lesson you will ever learn, I can safely say this, is when people pray for their breakthrough to happen. Trust me when I say this, that your breakthrough does not come when you get your desired result, which will surely come in his time. The breakthrough happens when you step into the peace of God that passes all understanding when you shouldn't have peace, when everything is hopeless. And when you step into that manifest presence of peace, you have got your breakthrough. It is a grace of God that will enable you to function and look forward and advance and move so that you're not camping in your pain and you're not camping, that you're not possessing and moving forward. So let's look at John 6, 1 to 15. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles they had seen him do among the sick. When he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down, surrounded by his disciples. It was nearly time for the feast of Passover, kept annually. When Jesus looked out and saw the large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? Let's pause there. If I was sitting next to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, Starla, how are you going to feed all these thousands of people? Knowing me and my personality, that I'm an organizer and a planner and an administrator, I would have said, God, you never gave me six months of staff meetings to plan this. We could have gotten a whole team and a volunteer. It's possible if you had given us time, if we could have planned this. Now, now I'm looking at all these people. They've got hungry eyes. I don't know what to do. I'm having a mini meltdown. And I, I don't know how to feed all these people. How can you even put this on me? How can you expect me to do this? You're asking me how we're going to feed these people? And we try and control, we try and plan, and sometimes our identity and our worth and our value comes from the one doing it all. I can do it all. It's quite a heavy burden to carry. Don't think God just puts things on you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's another enemy of faith is our human reasoning. We assume that God thinks the way we do. We don't think the way God does. His ways are much higher than our ways. But yet we are assuming that he is small thinking like we are and thinking in the natural. It dismisses, uh, human reasoning dismisses all spiritual things because we can't grasp it with our human mind. So if we read on, we see that Jesus was being sneaky. He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. So maybe we need to admit that this may be too big for us. That maybe God is asking us to do something that only he can do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways, acknowledge him. And Philip, it says, Philip answered, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. He's thinking, how much is this going to cost us? Everyone's using their human reasoning. And isn't it interesting that the things that God does call us to do is very expensive? We cannot afford to, to, to look for, towards human reasoning. One of the disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, said, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Everyone is just thinking in the natural. Jesus just said, make the people sit down. There's a nice carpet of green grass in this place. They sat down, about 5,000 of them, and then took the bread, and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. They went to work and filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. And the people realized that God was at work among them in what Jesus had just done. So I think that's again another sneaky move. Because he says, oh, guys, don't you want to just go fetch the leftovers? Where you were seeing lack, I'm a God of the leftovers. And what, let's just say that we managed to pull off this mammoth task. It would have cost us so much money. It would have left us bitter and resentful. I'm always the one that Jesus asked to do things, and I just have to just fix it. And, just, and I wouldn't have been like Jesus and said, sit here on a green carpet of grass. I'd say, get into line, everybody. Get into line. Single file. Let's go. Move quickly. That, honestly, we need to tap into the into the grace of God. He was modeling something from the Father that was just so effortless for him. He was trying to say, I'm asking you a question, but do you know who's in your midst? I'm not putting this on you. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm right here. Just ask me. And we need to look at the anxiety and the, and the stress in our lives and say, actually, God, I've, I'm, I'm operating in my own strength here. This is actually ungodly. I'm going to access the grace that is coming from your heart. It's so interesting, you know, when we, before the miracle, we just want to know all the details. God, how are you going to do it? I don't know if you've seen the time frame that we're looking at and the calendar and, you know, my whole family. And then, you know, there's, there's so many things to consider. So maybe you want some advice on maybe just, we can work together on this. If you can just give me something to work on, we can work together. And, and, and you know, but when that miracle happens... And when that thing comes to pass, we don't care how it was done. Oh, thank you, Lord. I don't know how that happened, but it was a miracle. <laughs> like, wow. We need the trust and the excitement that we feel after the promise. We need to and we can draw in God and trust Him that He is going to work out everything for our good and His glory. Again, we find ourselves in a boat because that is where we are tested. It's away from the shore. The disciples are afraid. There's another storm. Jesus reaches out to them. Three o'clock in the morning, he starts walking towards the water. Peter freaks out. Is this a ghost? Jesus says, not a ghost. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, come to me or tell me to come to you. I want to walk on the water. Jesus said, come. 
So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Why the uncertainty? Why the fear? Do you think I'm just going to watch you drown? I'm right here. But when the waves come and we've got water in our eyes, we lose perspective. And we start to think, God, you're, just, you're not going to just let me, let me drown like this, are you? You're the one who called me out. It was so exciting when I heard you call me out and I saw you walking on the water. Now I just want to be back in the boat. I don't want to be there. And God says, no, you will not suffer shame. And he says, do not shrink back. And he's always bringing words of life. And then he says, come. I want you to gather ladies in this region. And then every year it's hard. And then every year there's challenges and obstacles. And every year I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure. It's just too hard. I, I think this is the end. I think this is the last year because it's just too hard. I want to go back into the boat. And this year, there was something that really struck me as I was faced with all my inadequacies and insecurities and all the fears of failure and all those sorts of things that tries to drown out the voice of God. And as I was driving and as I was sitting in the car, this little whimpering voice decided to speak. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And okay, yes, I will go there again. I will, okay, yes, Lord. And, and Lord, I'm, I pray that I would, I would really stand. And then I put on the album that's from the, their church, Belonging Church, and they're singing A Peace Be Still. And I, and I start to listen to that music, Oh, Faith Arise, Faith Arise, Lord, Faith Arise. Okay, and actually, enemy, in fact, this is, this is the last year that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this up in the air. You're establishing something in the soil of this region. And I am going to be there, whether I'm there on my own or whether I'm there with 10 people, but I know, God, that you are with me and I know that you are for me and I know what you're wanting to do in this region. And so faith begins to rise up. And sometimes we need to speak out that which God has spoken because faith comes from hearing. Sometimes we need to hear our own words. We need to hear the words of God speaking. And also what we're doing is we're speaking to the spiritual realm. And what happened is when the spirits saw that I had settled some things in my heart, they no longer had any hold on me. They no longer knew that it was up for discussion. They no longer knew that I could run and retreat because she settled something in her heart. And some of us need to settle some things in our hearts. My husband and I have settled some things about our future. We've settled things so that we can go on mission together and it's not up for discussion. Some of you need to settle things with your family so that you can be effective and move forward and not give in to fear and intimidation. What happens if we all back away? What happens if, as things heat up in this region, we all get on a plane and we go back to our home country? We are called to be light in this region. We are called to love, love, and bless this region. Not just take 
from this region. We're called to love and bless this region and bless the people and honor the people. I wonder if the band could come up as I take us through our last enemy of our faith, which is when we magnify the enemy. We make something appear larger than it is. It's still small, but you put a magnifying glass over, it just comes into full view. It's still small. And that's what we do when we magnify fear. Fear all of a sudden becomes like it's bigger than us. So let's read. In Numbers 13, Moses says to a bunch of people, he says, God has spoken this language. He's spoken this place over us. 170 times God has spoken this place to us. Go and see the land. Go and see if it's everything that God says it is. If it's flowing with milk and honey. If it's fertile. If it's fruitful. Tell us if the, what is the situation. Is it green? Numbers 13, they come back and now they're reporting to everybody. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. He knew that this report was getting into the hearts of the people. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. We're like, yes, you said that. You said that now twice. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Now, Moses didn't ask them to size up themselves. He asked them to size up the situation, size up the land, because what happens when we size up ourselves is, when, is that we look at ourselves through our own weaknesses. We don't look at ourselves through the strength of God. And you know, they weren't denying that that was the preferred future. Is the band with me or they're not with me? This, can you start playing, please? <laughs> they weren't denying that that was the preferred future for them. They were saying, that is truly what you said. But they also saw the giants. They also magnified the giants. Do you know some of those people that exaggerate? You know, if you know that you haven't been to that place, oh my gosh, then it's like, it's the best place in the world. And I feel like they exaggerated the giant. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. Do you know how small a grasshopper is? It's an insect that fits in your hand. They saw themselves as little insects that were going to be crushed by the other armies. They magnified the enemy, and we all know that they died in the desert. Can you play? Caleb saw something different. He didn't see the problems, he saw the promise. What is your default setting? Do you always magnify the negative? 
Do you always carry a bad report? Are people avoiding you because you carry a negative and bad report? What is the preferred future that God has for you? What is the preferred future that you know, you can testify, you've seen before, you've seen with your own eyes that God wants this for you, but yet you're magnifying fear? Are you settling or are you advancing? When we choose to stay behind, the future moves on without us. When we refuse to stay behind, we become conduits to the future. Faith will lead you in, but fear will drive you out. The destroyer has come to rob, steal, and destroy. Our friends Brett behind the drums and Claire, they were robbed of their precious possessions. All of their camera work, all of their livelihood, all of their work, and it filmed a beautiful engagement. That also just got robbed. Everything was saying, that makes you angry. That makes you feel so vulnerable and angry. But some of us are having our preferred futures robbed from us. And we need to be angry. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe fear has become your new normal. The fear of letting go. The fear of stepping into. The fear of the unknown. The fear of failure. Insecurities. Whatever. You're magnifying the enemy's voice in your life. Just don't think that when the enemy speaks, he speaks truth. He is the father of lies. What if fear is a liar that has been sent on assignment to you to speak the opposite of what God is saying? It's like when you want to see what God's doing, just see where the enemy's attacking. If God is saying you will live and the enemy's saying you will die, don't believe him. He's a liar. It's when we believe the lies that we become those lies. But we can rebuke and reject and submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We need to confess. Do you know that the opposite of truth, opposite of lie is truth. But did you know that the opposite of lie is praise? That's what the dictionary say the opposite of lies praise so we found fear's weakness when fear speaks we begin to praise we begin to exalt God we begin to magnify his voice we don't even need to magnify God because he is magnificent he is greater than all fear makes us spend all our energy on focusing on the lack that we're without God We are with God. We are a people with God. So today I want to declare war on fear. Today I want to say that this is not going to rob from you anymore. 